Actually, what I am proposing is a double AC system in which the current is going both forwards and backwards simultaneously, as well as alternating every half cycle. And then on top of that, we impose a modification or restriction in which, or a modification in which um, inductive impedance is increased during one of one of the halves one of the uh, half cycles of that alternating cycle it's uh, decreased during one half cycle and increased during the next so that current is favored going one way and not the other um, over the other so that we get a surge of current um, during each half cycle it's a very odd way of looking at things because you think why bother but it's in reality it's very useful because now we're no longer focusing on um, the application of a prime mover in order to um, result in the movement of current because if all we do is that, that's dumb. There's no intelligence there. This is why this, uh, um, that's a dumb circuit but what I'm proposing Amon managed to get away with doing is AI squared. It's it's an improvement of intelligence. Uh, you know, all of it all of this is artificial, it's man made, right? So it's an improvement of intelligence, it's I squared. Uh in as much as it's the alternation of in inductive impedance, um making various weird <laughs> allusions there. Um to kind of make it slightly humorous, I hope. Um because we're no longer focusing on the prime mover. Prime, uh, nature already provides the prime mover. It's the background uh, frequencies and radiations uh, happening all over the place. Um, trees, plants, humans, radio antenna towers miles away. It doesn't matter how much power you start with. It's what you do with it that counts because you don't do anything with it. That's the point. You simply take it and then you do something else with it. It has nothing to do with power. It's the application of impedance, of reactive impedance, whether it's inductive or capacitive. In this case, it's inductive. That's going to make all the difference, but in order to make a difference, we have to make sure that the current, the oscillations of current, are going in both directions simultaneously. We've got to split so that it's not just going one way and then it's one half cycle and now the current goes in reverse the next half cycle. No, -uh, it's not going to work. We have to make sure we send the current in both directions simultaneously each half cycle and then reverse them the following half cycle. And then we and if the pa and so then we can use power that's very low equal to the background power of you know what would power a crystal radio set 100 years ago. But then we apply, apply the alternation of reactive impedance, in this case it's inductive impedance, per half cycle to favor the accumulation of reactive power or the power resulting from electrical reactants during one half cycle and not the other half cycle so that we get a buildup of that power resulting from electrical reactants because that kind of power is different than the power derived from a prime mover. Power derived from a prime mover is real power. This is not real power. This is reactive power. And so it's lossless. 
and it builds up and accumulates. Um, and the funny thing about its accumulation, because it's a reactive process, it self-compounds. At least that's what I found in my under-simulation um, regarding capacitive reactants. With inductive reactants, it may not do that. It may not be capable of self-compounding itself. It may um, be only capable of arithmetic accumulation um, in which every half cycle you get the additional reactive power added to the, pre to the previous cycle and so it builds up in a very gradual fashion. Um, actually, um, yeah, yeah, but see... Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it may be... Oh, God. You see, I still don't understand this <laughs> subject matter. I wish I did thoroughly and completely well because there's always you always have to have capacitance interacting with inductance simultaneously in order to or not simultaneously, but interacting in order to get over unity. You can't just work with inductance or just with capacitance. Um, but I think what matters is which one plays the orchestra leader and which one plays the symphony. You know, which one is the active and which one is the passive. And I think here um, the inductance is the active. And that's why it's, uh, no, 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 I shouldn't say passive. Which one is the orchestra leader <laughs> who is passive, not doing anything, but leading? And which one is the active, which is following? Actually, that's the way it works. The active one follows the leadership of the passive, which doesn't do anything but lead. And so... Um, Let's see, if the, um, if the inductive does the orchestration, it doesn't seem to be the same gain of power as when the capacitive does the leading, the passive leading. That's what it seems to be. Um, and so when one, let's say, the capacitive does the leading, you see the manifestation of power in the inductors without having to move them through a magnetic field to, to pull that off. But um, in this case, um, we're using um, the inductance of the copper tubes in the Amon version to create that split of current going in both directions simultaneously. I guess that's what matters. Ah, it yes. So we're using um, a dualism or an interplay between the two sets of copper tubes and spheres attached to create current simultaneously in each, occurring in each simultaneously and going or being transmitted to the other at the same time the other is transmitting to the first. And that's where we get the split of, of current. And it's indu an inductive split. But we can do it 
capacitively, you know, creating the um, converse or the uh, a- analog to to, cur- to the inductive current or conductive current, which is, of course, displacement current, but regardless of the type of current. When it's done through a capacitor, it has to be a low-level capacitance. It's not in the Amon device. I'm thinking of other simulations I've done in which the capacitance is like a tenth of a picofarad, and that's easy enough to produce. It's interestingly, interestingly enough, nobody sells tenth of a picofarad capacitors. But you just string a bunch of picofarad capacitors, ten of them together in a series, and you get a tenth of a picofarad when you add them up in series because you're thickening their dielectric, so to speak, um, creating a, a tenth of... Uh, um, uh, ratio proportionality disparity between the surface area versus um, the, their depth. But you, you use a tenth of a picofarad and you put that on either side of a very large coil, let's say 10, hor- ten Henry coil, um, one on each side, so you got now 20 <laughs> picofarad capacitors, 10 on one side, 10 on the other side of a coil, all, all of this strung in series. So you got 10 picofarad capacitors followed by a 10 henry coil followed by excuse me a one pic, 10 one picofarad capacitors followed by a 10 henry coil in the center followed by 10 uh, single um, picofarad capacitors on the right on the other side all of this in series um, 21 components all hooked up in series connections and what you'll get is a prismatic effect because the die. I've said this in a prior recording. The the die, but I'm repeating it because now I'm understanding how this thing works. Um, this thing of free energy. So you get a prismatic effect in which the energy actually goes through the dielectric and comes out the other side, a good portion of it, and it gets refracted in the process. And that refraction is what causes or that ability to be refracted as well as reflected because it's not being absorbed and re-emitted because there's no capacitance there to absorb it. So it has to reflect it and refract it simultaneously and that splits the parent wave into two daughter waves, one going one way and the other going the other way. And so now we got a splittage of current and it happens every time it bounces back through it, which means at every half cycle it gets split. We get a doubling of current every half cycle. And that's the capacitive version of passively leading um, the causation of so-called free energy that will manifest, we will see it in the coil nearby, even though it's being split by the low-level capacitances at either end of the terminal of that coil. And this is, this is just one, this example of when that occurs. So I guess the definition of overunity or free energy is always going to be the same um, parenthetically or generically. Generically, in that we're splitting current and getting it to go in both directions simultaneously and alternate so that whatever current labeled A <laughs> goes one way, now goes the other way, and current B that went the other way now goes the, the, the first way. They, t- they swap places. So they do have to alt- still alternate. But they're going in both directions simultaneously, and then we impose a restriction of um, 
heightened impedance during one half cycle, but not during the next. Um, and so now I have to curb myself because I don't know whether it's possible to, to induce a capacitive impedance per half cycle. I don't know this. I think in the Amon device, it's inductive impedance that's being applied, and also in the Tesla version. But is there uh, another way to do this capacitively? I don't know. Um, and so we get this, but w w what we do is we get this accumulation of reactive power that we wouldn't have gotten had we stri restricted ourselves to real power, which is uh, dependent on a prime mover. But reactive power is not. It's dependent upon the components of the circuit reacting to the application of real power, which came from a prime mover. So we're dealing with a slightly more complicated animal that we can regulate or that we can manipulate to do what uh, Gabriel Kron did, expand or contract energy as if it were a rubber band or a piece of Play-Doh. Um, maybe a better analogy would be compression or decompression. Regardless of how it's done, the energy actually expands or contracts. But we do have to give it some, and it does have to come from a prime mover, but it, it need not be artificially applied, you know, like we create a dam to dam up water and make it fall to create a prime mover at a hydroelectric power plant. That's artificial. That's man-made. Or we put a or we put our um, we set it up at a waterfall, but it's usually not very commercially viable. That's already in existence. We usually they create it because they have to create the dam. <laughs> um, waterfall is usually just a fall, a cliff. <laughs> we don't get much water that way. This way, with a dam, we can get a lot of water. But we have to dam it up and fill up the lake. So it's pretty much artificial when it's done by man. Um, prime movers. Um, we rarely make use of nature. The prime movers in nature. We could, if we knew how to magnify the real power, the application of real power, by not magnifying the power so much as magnifying the reactive power that comes from it and play with that. You know, Archimedes said, give me a lever and I'll move the world, but um, he really should have said, give me a lever and a fulcrum, a place to put the lever. And that place to put it is capacitive reactance, while the lever itself is inductive because it rotates. So that tells you it's inductive. But this, And that tells you it's magnetic because it's going around in a, it can go around in a circle if it could spin freely on that fulcrum. But the fulcrum is the stationary point, and that tells you the terminus of the endpoint of a force, which can only be the dielectric force, which results from capacitive reactance. So it's, you know, it's a chicken and egg situation, which came first and which came afterwards. Uh, electrical engineering conventionally holds that uh, electrical reactance is the result of the application of real power. But it can also be that real power is the result of the combination of two electrical reactive forces. And so this alternation between reactance and real power and reactive power and real power tells us that we can take it at any point 
whether we start with real power or we start with reactive power and go to the its subsequent phase of existence. But the difference is monumental because in one case we're tied to t uh, paying energy through the nose, whereas in the other case we can have any amount of en energy we want, large or small, expand it or contract it. Now I've only focused on ex the expansion of power, so that's basically all I am familiar with. But I have done experiments using the uh, parametric uh, variation of capacitance of a capacitor, uh, the sudden variation, not the, uh, or discrete I should say, uh, by way of sudden intervals rather than, you know, gradually increasing or gradually diminishing, like Chris Carson's rotary, but done under simulation artificially. And I'm t it, uh, so I've seen it. I, I was able. To, I, I learned how to expand energy or contract energy. It depends upon when you change the capacitant value, the value of capacitance, during an AC cycle. If you change it immediately before it peaks, it'll keep expanding by a certain percentage. Let's say it's forty percent. It's not a lot, but it's it, it is a gradual uh, expansion of energy. But if you change the capacitance immediately after it peaks or after it troughs then you get the diminishment of energy by a value that's um, considerable it may be more than 40% but if you change the the parameter of capacitance suddenly discreetly or by sudden interval by sudden change immediately before it peaks or before it troughs you get the expansion of energy during that next half cycle of an AC cycle. And again, you're limited to the energy you're feeding in. The current is only going one way. So that's another way to uh, play with uh, overunity, the production of overunity, but it's um, you're limited. Um, it is hyperbolic, though, because it's always 40% per half cycle. I mean, let's say if it is 40%. Um, that's 40% of 40% of 40% for every half cycle that you've done, which means it's a geometric progression, which makes it hyperbolic. So it's um, kind of weird, you know? <laughs> How does nature do that? How does... How does our theories that we already know individually, when they combine to interact with, under simulation, describe that? And how do, we, how do we describe, how do we explain why that's possible? Um, the way I explain it is that the valence uh, shell electrons of, say, all the copper atoms in a copper coil they're changing energy state because we tell them to. Not because we apply real power to one terminal of a coil, but because when we're dealing with electrical reactants, we simply tell, using the energy input from a prime mover to carry the information of commanding, of telling the valence electron shells of all the, all the atoms of copper in a copper coil to function as an orchestra. And 
even though it still looks like energy is traveling down the length of that uh, wire in the coil, that's because it's it looks that way. It's simply a pattern moving down the length of the coil. But the dielectric force is, as far as I'm concerned, it's an immediate transfer. It's it's not 50 times faster than the speed of light. It's instantaneous transfer of information, which is vitally important that you tell all the copper atoms in a copper coil how they should behave each, each subsequent moment of time because you want them to act in concert to create the effect. It's the only way you're going to get it collectively within the whole coil. And so you're telling all of them what to do and when... And when you tell them to do it, is all at once. So it's just like the orchestra leader. Everybody can look and s at the orchestra leader at the same time, every moment, with their eyes, while they play their instrument with their hands. They can have that coordination, and that's exactly how the copper atoms work. They respond to the leadership given to them, because they're all looking at the leadership outside themselves, telling them what to do at the same time. And thus, you don't have to think about, oh, we're sending energy down the length of the wire. No, we're not. We're sending information which appears or arrives at all of the copper atoms simultaneously because there's no transit time for information because it's the dielectric medium in which they all receive that information at the same time. So it's it reinterprets... The movement of of uh, valuable the what's valuable what is valuable that moves is information because it's far more efficient than trying to move anything else. <laughs> it takes time. Now it also on a side another side note going back to what I started and then left off to finish off Edward Leitzkalnin's idea of current of uh, current is two magnetic forces going in simultaneous or to, uh, simultaneously moving in opposite directions, and each has its own label on it, monopole uh, north versus monopole south. And the way we do things with the application of real power doesn't appear to do that, and that's why Edward Leeds-Collin appears to be a fool who's lying and doesn't know it. But what we don't know is that he actually pulled it off because... He's doing what the Amman brothers managed to do because he's working with iron. <laughs> he's not restricting himself to copper. And so he can get away with it. And that's why the relevance of iron is to be able to do what Edward Lee Scullin said you can, could do if you bothered to do it his way. Is to get current to move in opposite directions simultaneously. Each one has its own label, one north, the other south, they're monopoles. And now we can apply the restrictiveness of the, the alternating, uh, we, the, we can apply the alternation of the restricted, restrictiveness of impedance during each half cycle and intensify that because we can change the impedance and accumulate the intensification of that restrictiveness, we can't change the prime mover that originally uh, origi initiated the current moving in the first place, let alone splitting the current to go in opposite directions simultaneously. 
the current originates from a prime mover. We can't change that. We can't change the prime mover. We cannot change, but we can split the current to accommodate the application of the alternation of impedance that gets more and more restrictive. So it's the impedance that is intensifying. And shall I say the force of impedance is accumulating, if we can call impedance a force of sorts, a concept, it's a force of a forceful concept that is accumulating at a hyperbolic rate, causing the current to be more and more squeezed or not, as the case may be. And if we squeeze it, um, it has an effect. If we don't, it has the opposite effect. But we literally, we can change the appearance of power. See, reactance is a container, so to speak, that defines the energy within it. And nobody looks at energy this way. They just figure they're measuring energy, amps and volts, but it doesn't work that way. We always are measuring energy in the context of reactance. And the, the context of reactance changes the appearance of energy because energy is not a solid object. It's an elastic rubber band. Like a gas, well, there you go. Like a gas. You know, Tesla said an incompressible gas, but nonetheless, um, well, incompressible gas? I don't know. It's, it's, in any case, it's acting like something that can be expanded or contracted. And in that course of doing so, actually increases our measurement of it as if it were a solid object that had cloned itself or decloned itself and made itself shrink. I mean, it's, energy is a really fascinating subject, but we don't look at reactants, how it can change our perception of energy. Now, that's what the simulator does. It changes its perception of energy based on the reactants altering its perception of energy. And perception is everything it'll make all the difference as to how much energy is there per moment of time, whether it expands or contracts. So we've never violated conservation of energy in, phys in physics because the energy re resulting from the prime mover is still the same amount of energy because the prime mover hasn't changed. That's why they say that conservation of energy occurs because you're simply converting energy from one format into another when it goes from the prime mover into you know, the falling water and is converted into electricity at the hydroelectric power plant. But we, what we change is our application of reactants upon that. But we have to split the energy first to go in opposite directions. We either use a very low-level capacitance that acts like a prism, or else we use iron in our inductance to do the splitting. Well, no, I said it was the two copper tubes. That's right. Well, the inductance of the copper. That's right. And, but we use the iron to retain it, to remember it, and not forget it. Ah. So we use the copper in, in a dualism. That's why the copper comes in a, in a pair, to split it. But then we use the iron to retain the memory of that split so that we can now have something to work with. Make sense? Actually, Edward Leedskonen was dealing with DC power. And yet he claimed the current was going in two directions simultaneously. So we take that idea that he had and 
we um, alternate it and then we apply the restrictiveness and control how much restriction we apply of reactive impedance per half cycle that we have created by creating an oscillating cycle of his DC splitting his DC version of splitting current going in two directions simultaneously so we're compounding the situation making it more complicated but we're basing it on Edward Leitzkonen's idea which was to use iron in conjunction with copper and not to use copper alone so we're doing we're doing fundamentally the same thing Oliver Heaviside proposed retain the memory of magnetism but when we do that we can do uncanny things that we have not availed of ourselves of for the past century and or more century and a half at least even though Oliver Heaviside kind of set the stage for the opportunity that we have failed to take advantage of and Edward Leitzkonen came along and provided more opportunity more knowledge and awareness of the opportunities there that are waiting for us in the field of electrical engineering but we still have not taken advantage of it so as a collective consciousness we are still dim-witted on this topic but I hope we become more knowledgeable and take the incentive that Edward Leitzkonen left with us and Nikola Tesla in the alternating of current so we apply the alternating of current of Nikola Tesla to the situation of the splitting of current going in opposite directions simultaneously, but in Edward Leitzkonen's case it was DC, but we apply Nikola Tesla's alternating version of that so that now we get Edward Leitzkonen's simultaneous splitting of current going in opposite directions to alternate in direction every half cycle of an oscillation. And then we apply the restrictiveness of reactive impedance per half cycle and compound the intensity of that impedance each half cycle to increase the severity of restrictiveness per half cycle so that we get the magnification of power without changing the prime mover leaving the prime mover alone. We still need one. Conservation of energy requires that we have an input of energy, but we leave it alone, we modify the energy as it comes in by splitting it, alternating it, and then applying reactants in ever-increasing degree of, of severity per half cycle. And we, with this kind of procedure that I just outlined, we can do phenomenal things with energy. We can make it expand or contract like Ant-Man in Marvel Comics, just like Gabriel Cron claimed he could do. And yet we don't understand how. Well, this is a very vague, generic way of describing how it's done. It doesn't get into the details because there are all these variations. You know, Do you use capacitive methods, inductive methods? But it's still... It's basically the same methodology. Yeah, there's only two methods, capacitive versus inductive. And I've already outlined it in the, in the previous section of this recording that I'm now joining two recordings together. But I needed to do an overview to wrap up this situation so you get to see from the bird's eye view how it looks. It's utterly simplistic, simple in its generic view. 
and once we get into the details it starts getting more complicated but it's it goes in a very organized for format when we increase the details because it's totally structured this is why electrical engineering is such a nice topic to study because it's so highly structured you can't go wrong and if you're not sure you just test it out on the bench but unfortunately we've been living with a political situation that commercially dri driven by commerce to control the situation and keep things lopsidedly one-sided and never learning about the other side and it might be why the Atlanteans called the prime mover, the real power emanating from the prime mover to be the night, the day side of nature, while reactants they called the night side, because it's so easy to ignore the, the, the degree of leverage we can apply through electrical reactants, because it's always over, it's so easy to overlook. Uh, a stupid person would overlook it and that's how it is with us. We're kept stupid on this subject. We're kept simple-minded. Oh, we, t we teach electrical engineering uh, very simple to the beginning student, and then we never teach the more complicated version to the advanced student. And this is where we fail.